0: Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me today, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. And, as usual, we're going to be talking about RPGs, big and small, western, eastern, console, PC. Doesn't matter, we love them all. And this is the podcast where we cover it. The Blood God loves the RPGs. Give him all of the
1: RPGs. Yeah, and it looks like this week is probably going to be uh, pretty heavy on the western front. Nah,
0: a little bit. I mean, we're gonna, I, I promise that I'm going to spare you all Destiny 2 talk because I, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast really cares. Like every time I talk about Destiny 2, I get flack and maybe there's a reason for that. And that's because Destiny 2 is, I mean, it's a shooter. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. It's a co-op shooter. Um, we went and saw, we went to the big destiny reveal yesterday and there was the usual pomp and circumstance and all that good stuff. But, all the marketing um, stuff. somebody you'll forgive me. Somebody, uh, at the actual event made a pretty good observation. Um, and I'm going to steal it now. Um, so, uh, this is credit to Ben Silverman who used to work over at Yahoo. He said that the thing that bugs him about destiny too, is that the world doesn't have any people in it. Really? Like, yeah. Like NPCs? Like regular people. Mm-hmm. Like normal people.
1: Like they're robots. Oh, I see. Yeah, you know what? The- that would bore me um, because I'm just, I- I'm going to commit a terrible sin here and say I'm not overly interested in robots, even though I'm like a huge Mega Man fan. <gasps> but in a sci-fi context, you're just like, uh, they're okay, I guess. But if you have like a world full of robots and like no biologicals organics uh yeah i'd get i'd get kind of fed up after a while
0: well well, let me rephrase that there are biologicals but they're all superheroes (laughs) that's not much better like the the tower doesn't have like accountants (laughs) (laughs) like they're shopkeepers but you know you're they're your typical like kind of rpg like hi we're just kind of random npcs and or robots (laughs) But you don't get any sense of like when you're fighting bad guys that you're saving anybody or that you're making a real difference. Okay. Everybody in this game is Batman.
1: Okay, yeah, because I remember hearing uh, I watched the reveal and they had a whole like they had the whole intro where they were playing through it and they're talking about how they're uh, evacuating the civilians, but you don't see the civilians. And I guess once they're gone, they're gone.
0: Yeah, well, right. But you never see the civilians, yeah. so it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. So, like as a result, it doesn't feel like a lived-in world. The lore doesn't really feel like it matters at all. It's just a series of comic book supervillains that you're finding on a whole bunch of different planets, which exist solely as arenas for co-op shooting.
1: Mm-hmm. So shooty shooty bang bang.
0: And that's the thing is that like. An RPG, I think, relies on its NPCs. It relies on the normals, as it were, to serve as a contrast Mm -hmm. to your, like, regular character, right? Right. And, I mean, it's the NPCs who, like, they add flavor and color to the world. Like, when you really pay attention to the the dialogue and Mm -hmm. what they can talk about, they can direct you to your next quest They put everything into context, right?
1: Yeah, like, when I was young, I'd always kind of feel bad for little kids who, uh, they're like, my parents were kidnapped by the monster. I'd be like, oh, poor little guy, I gotta save him. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. They make you want to save the world. Mm -hmm. And even in other MMORPGs, like World of Warcraft, um, like, you still see, you see NPCs around, right? Mm -hmm. You see kind of the regulars, you... You have a real sense of place. Everything yes. kind of feels connected together. Yes. Everybody's not not everybody's Batman. <laughs> just some there's of the people are room for role Batman. playing. And <laughs> I think that's the thing with Destiny is that there's no room for role playing. Really, it's just yeah. shoot.
1: Yeah, that would be kind of uh, disappointing because the whole fun of an RPG is having that feeling of superiority over everyone. Like, yeah, you're helping them, but you're still you're you are Batman, and they're all I don't know plebes. They're all they're all Alfreds. <laughs> No, Alfred's cool. I don't know. I don't know my comic book lore very well. <laughs> but yeah, uh, when there's no room for role playing and it's all just
0: action, then it's hard to characterize it as anything but like a shooter with
1: some extra stats. Mhm. So So you you played a bit and I guess this is you would have a better idea of how this all felt than I would, but um I guess you'd come to that conclusion then, huh?
0: I mean I, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about Destiny and everything, mm-hmm. but um yeah, like I played a little bit of it. Um, it co-ops RPG elements um, like World of Warcraft and puts them into a shooter context. And that's why it is popular because mm-hmm. it makes those elements um, accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of min-maxing. It's much more about how much are you willing to grind mm-hmm. to get the best gun. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not sitting here like putting together like really complex... Uh, dps burst combos and like thinking about how you're actually going to help the party you're just thinking like okay my character is kind of strong and tanky a little bit and this guy can has a big fire sword and (laughs) can do their thing and that you know like right like Mm -hmm. there's no real sense of classes or anything like everybody there is teamwork, but otherwise, for the most part, it's kind of everybody out for themselves. But yeah, kind of you, I you're I promise too, I wouldn't talk too much about Destiny.
1: Yeah, because well, I was going to ask you quickly, like, you're not too gung-ho on the first, as I recall, but does the second, I guess it doesn't sound like it alleviates any sort of, uh, or encourages you to really play it, does it? I mean, I'm going to play it. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I'm probably
0: just not going to talk about it uh, much anymore on the podcast. Because... It, it's just going to be like
1: background noise in your life and our lives.
0: I mean, I suppose, like, it's going to be one of the biggest games of the year. Yeah. It's impossible to ignore. Um, yeah. You saw the pomp and circumstance that was going on. Um, I can't believe Luke Smith is the director of Destiny 2.
1: Yeah, he's he's uh, come a long way, that's for sure. Like, I met him at 1UP E3 2006. He, that was a long time ago.
0: And it's just so weird, because he used to be, like, a podcast host over on 1UP, and now he's directing one of the biggest games in the in the entire industry so
1: yeah he still looks very much the same <laughs>
0: does he he had already left by the time um i started listening to one of yours so mm-hmm. i guess uh i never like like i knew that he was one of the most popular people on the show but mm-hmm. um i guess i never like never really got to know him until i looked on that stage and saw ha. Ah, <laughs> he's just na- he's just another guy up there on that stage hyping up a game to the moon
1: yep talking about all those buzzwords
0: to the moon with all the wizards on them <laughs>
1: <laughs> that wizard came from
0: the moon but on that note let's talk about something else let's let's talk about fire emblem shadows of valencia which i reviewed last week mm-hmm. while i was on the road actually
1: wow that's a good it on was the road a very game. tiresome
0: week or this past week yeah it was very tiresome mm-hmm. um I had a lot to write.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cat well, did a lot of writing.
0: I did a lot of writing while also being, like, w- running around, um, going and checking out new games, which you will be hearing about over the course of the next month, but Shadows of Valencia, we talked a bit about it already mm-hmm. on this podcast, but I have some final thoughts on it, Nadia.
1: Mm-hmm. I- I'm sure we're going to hear all about it, because uh, some people have already let, them let you know what they think on the comment thread of your review. <laughs> It's it's it's
0: hard, mm-hmm. um, and not in a good way. I yeah. think that there's good difficulty and bad difficulty, and I think that this is too old school for its own good.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you're not the only one who says that, by the way. I have read other reviews where they say the same thing, where, okay, uh, Shadows of Valencia, it's kind of in a weird niche, because yes, it's a remake, but it really has to subscribe to those old mechanics, like, in some ways. And, well, by the sounds of it, it does.
0: I don't necessarily think so. I I think a remake is an opportunity to completely revisit the old subject matter. Mm -hmm. Um, I get that they want to be faithful to the spirit of the original, but they are being faithful to maybe a little more than the spirit. Um, Yeah,
1: I think you mentioned that like in your review that the real problem is their idea of making the game hard is throwing like enemy after enemy after enemy just wearing you out instead of actually giving you like a, a technical challenge. Well yeah,
0: it's like enemy spam, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is something that Bob always complains about in old NES games. Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> what are we going to do? Well, I guess we'll just I guess we'll just fill the enemy the screen with enemies and like moving in weird patterns and that's how we're going to do <laughs> that's how we're going to make it hard. It's like kind of an artificial difficulty. It's not the one that you can necessarily overcome easily with skill, but mm-hmm. it's a bit more like luck or attrition or Grindy, grindy.
1: I'm actually just having this vision of, like, uh, the battlefield, like, in real life, and, like, the enemies just kind of moving around, like, maybe doing cartwheels and all this weird shit, and the, and the people who are supposed to fight them are like, what the hell is this? We're, 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 here, we're fighting cra- we're crazy people, but fight like normal people. What's going on here?
0: <laughs> so, so, the thing that really drove me crazy, and did I mention this in the last episode of the podcast, there are these enemies called canters? Uh, I who- think so.
1: They call up the enemies, like...
0: Yeah, they summon constant waves of enemies that are coming at you. Okay, maybe. Oh you my god, it. it drove me crazy, and it only gets worse.
1: <laughs> oh and my gosh! And it's not even a situation where it's. Well, I haven't played the game yet, but it's not a situation where you can kind of get rid of the canter quickly and, and hope for the best before they can.
0: It varies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the characters gets a uh, a priest, mm-hmm. and she has the ability warp. Mm-hmm. So if you play it right. You can totally warp um, Alm, who is the main male character, over mm-hmm. and like kill it really fast. Mm-hmm. But of course, he might get surrounded and killed pretty yeah. fast himself.
1: And that's game over, right?
0: Yeah. So there's like a some serious risk reward going on mm-hmm. there. Um, but or you can try and snipe them with the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, you're going to get hemmed in by all sides. Yeah. By like the six enemies that they've just spawned plus all the enemies on the map and everything and you can use the terrain but the actual um map is quite open so there are not a lot of ways to like be able to hunker and um kind of protect your party like protect your flanks mm-hmm. um, your flanks are constantly exposed in this game mm-hmm. um i i started kind of huddling in the corner and just like
1: <laughs> waving your stick
0: to like beat off the waves of enemies that are coming in <laughs> I found myself relying really heavily, like more heavily than I would have liked on the main character. Yeah. Uh, It was hard to uh, build everybody up at kind of the same rate. Um, It's a game that very much encourages um, grinding. And in Mm -hmm. fact, I interviewed the developers earlier this week and they were like... "Um, I I mentioned that this was probably the hardest Fire Emblem I've ever played. Mm -hmm. I might see maybe the only Fire Emblem I've played where I went, oh man, am I going to actually be able to beat this? Because holy crap, that final level, Mm -hmm. it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Um, And they were like, well, this game is a very heavy on role-playing elements. So if you're having a hard time, we would suggest that you grind in the dungeons. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I never considered and I was that. Like, oh, okay, so, but that really gives you a my mi- a window into their mindset, right? Yes, exactly. Where they're like going, we're not necessarily like thinking in terms of like making really like well made maps or every or anything. Mm-hmm. We're like just pulling those straight from the Famicom version. And if you're having a hard time beating them, like you just got to brute force it with like higher level characters.
1: Goodness, or just get a game genie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What was that article that you wrote earlier today about Canadian game
1: genies? Oh, you didn't get to read it yet. Um, no, I didn't. Basically, it was a, an ad that my husband found in uh, one of this game, one of his old game magazines that he was going through, and uh, it was like a quote unquote thank you Canada ad because um, Game Genie was available in Canada when it wasn't available in the United States because there were all these lawsuits going on over the hardware. So Mm. it was kind of a, I I say a thank you, but it was really kind of a, hey, Americans, why don't you come over up here? Here's where it's on sale. Here's a list of stores. (laughs) It's pretty great. It's very 90s. Oh, that's
0: interesting. I mean, yeah, no, that's an interesting piece of history. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, those were the days when you would totally break out a cheat device like the Game Genie because, oh my God, games were unfairly hard. And why were they unfairly hard? because there wasn't a lot of memory in them, and they needed to extend the experience somehow. Mm -hmm. So they would just... I mean, it's kind of that old arcade mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, so what? You're going to die. Deal with it. More quarters. (laughs) More quarters. Nom nom. (laughs) Nom 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 quarters. You will will get your $50 worth out of this game,
1: (laughs) because you will die a lot, and it's fine. Oh, man. That brings back some flashbacks. Just remembering... And not only were games hard back then, but uh, a lot of American localized games were made harder so that you couldn't finish them in, in a rental. And, God, Castlevania Three, if you died at Dracula, who had three stages, you couldn't just start at Dracula again. You had to start with the whole level again. Uh, oh, I did it! My gosh. You did it? I did it. I finished Castlevania Three and I said, I'm never doing that again.
0: <laughs> I never beat Battletoads, because that game was so cheap.
1: Oh, I, I never came close. I don't even think I tried.
0: I got to the I got to the final level,
1: oh, good for you, <laughs> sure is how harder than i farther than I got i I would use the warps because
0: I could never beat that snake level. oh the thing That was ridiculous. snake level was too hard,
1: yeah, and now we're gonna get so many people descending on us. No wonder you couldn't finish fire Emblem cat. you can't even finish Battletoads. oh my God. I gosh. mean it's a
0: very different animal right mm-hmm. um, I think that um I mean, I think grinding is a part of it. I think um, I think one of the mistakes that I made was that I used too many characters in my party mm-hmm. that I should have actually cut out some members and had a much smaller kind of elite unit.
1: Yeah, it's funny that like a, a lot of newer Fire Emblem games, they give you that one sort of elite unit who can destroy anything on the map, but you're not supposed to become over-reliant on them. Yeah,
0: what's funny is that you don't really have that as much in this game. I, I guess the main characters are kind of like um, that type of character. Mm-hmm. But no, it's more like just some characters aren't very good. Like <laughs> Tobin is not very good.
1: Mm, I think you meant Um him. And if
0: you use him, then he's going to soak up XP that could be better used. That could go to other characters instead. Right. Um, And as a result, like, you are watering down your party. And unless you grind and grind and grind, like, you're going to have a hard time keeping up with the difficulty curve.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, so
0: I uh, regret not having a leaner and meaner party.
1: Yeah, that, that's the that's good advice actually. Uh, when I pick up the game, but uh, I was also wondering if you read Jeremy Parrish's uh, uh, opinions on the game because he he seems to really like it, but he hasn't finished it either. So,
0: mm. so no, I did not read it. Um, I'm sure that he has some interesting thoughts on it. Um, I know that he is a tactics ogre guy, yeah, and an ogre battle guy. So, like, I imagine that he was probably looking at them in the that context.
1: That's interesting, because uh, I haven't read the thoughts either, but he has, I have seen him mention on Twitter a couple of times that so far it's his favorite Fire Emblem game.
0: I could totally see that, because I think it's, like I said, it's a massive breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. and I really, I really love like the structure, mm-hmm. right? I love the world maps, um, I love the characters on either side that you can pick up at any time. I like that it's kind of a little more old school in its storytelling and its Mm -hmm. character design than newer Fire Emblem games. Um, And, like, in the early going, at least, it's, like, tactical. It feels good, right? Right. It's just not until... But then later, you just start going, this is BS. (laughs) (laughs) Screw this. There's this one enemy that, like, it doesn't matter how hard how high your level is, she will take you down to one HP and you will die. And that's that. Yeah. So pretty much the only way to beat her is to teleport Alm up to her and kill her and then pray. (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise she's just going to start reducing your party to like one HP and they will die. And if you're playing on classic mode, they're dead. And that's that. Because she's standing up on a parapet. Yeah. You can't really get to her. You have to like, you, otherwise, you'd have to go all the way around.
1: Okay, and she can cast at a long distance?
0: She can cast at distance, but also there's canters who are <laughs> going to be sending... <laughs> Stupid
1: canters, man.
0: She's going to be sending waves of enemies at you. And then there's also, like, poison. Like, poison swamps. <laughs> and there's poison. <laughs> there's not poison swamps on herds. That's on Selica's side. Oh, Jesus. And then you're already dealing with, like, attrition on your party because, like, you're running out of HP by casting spells... So your party is like constantly taking downward. And until much later in the game, like really late, you do not have healing spells. You don't have a lot of healing spells. Really? Like it? you have like, like initially you basically have one healer per party. Mm-hmm. And in Selica's party, Celica is that healer.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. And it
0: takes a while for that healing to kind of like appear and become like more consistent and without a lot of healers, it's a, it's a real pain. So you really got to keep everybody together. Mm-hmm. Kind of clump together. Um, kind of clump together because uh, one of the main healing things in this game is food. Yummy. Like, everybody has food. They restore varying um, degrees of HP. Um, they will also cure fatigue when you're in the dungeons. Because when you're fighting in the dungeons, you will, like gradually become more fatigued Mm -hmm. i think that's like to kind of counterweight like just grinding in the dungeons like they want they want you to have to like have a cost of some sort i guess and that's Mm -hmm. where fatigue comes in from into but i so yeah you want to keep everybody next to the main character because they have access to the convoy which is where all the food is (laughs) and they can carry like they can basically carry a weapon or a piece of food (laughs)
1: <laughs> make it both <laughs> a, a they can carry stick. both they
0: can only carry a weapon or a piece of food so you really have to have them attached at all times to Alm or somebody so they can access the convoy and get food as they need it but sometimes like everybody kind of gets pulled apart a little bit and yeah so you have to be really disciplined when you're playing this game or you're gonna get steamrolled
1: wow so, well kudos to the bad guys for like just showing no quarter <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: But like I said, like, from a remake standpoint, it's really handsome. Um, they expand the number of characters. The story is much expanded. Uh, the original Fire Emblem Gaiden, like, the story, like, was, was mostly told through the, the manual. Mm-hmm. That's right. So now, like, it's a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, and and like I said, like, the world map is, like, really richly realized and... I love the sense of progression in it, and I like that I can go back and forth between the two characters. Um, it has a great soundtrack.
1: Yeah, from what I've heard, it sounds great.
0: Yes, it does sound great. So I I really have a love-hate relationship with this game. <laughs> it sure sounds like it. Like, I really, on the one hand, like, I'm kind of with Jeremy. It's like, whoa, oh, man, it's like one of my favorite fire emblems. This is great, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to recommend.
1: Yeah, see, I don't love grinding, but I, I don't hate it by any means. So I feel like if I just kind of spend a day listening to my own music and and just like, you know, My Chemical Romance Fire Emblem, yeah. <laughs> I'll be all right. My Chemical Romance Fire Emblem? Yeah, I can see it I happen. It. Gerard Way is yeah. a huge nerd.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it's hard for me to recommend in the sense of like, it's just a pain in the ass to play at times, and it's mm-hmm. not always fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I take exception to cheap design. I do. Right, I don't and blame I you for think that. And I think this game gets too cheap. It's not fun.
1: I wonder how it will go across. With, uh, I mean, let's face it, Mo- uh, Fire Emblem only very recently became like such a huge franchise. So I wonder how it'll really echo with the the people, so to speak, who came in with yeah. uh, Awakening and and Birthright and all that.
0: Hmm. I guess we'll see, won't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's already being positioned as, like, for the hardcore. Mm-hmm. And I think the hardcore are the ones who are going to be, like, defending it most vociferously. They're and probably like, going to be, guessing like... guessing that they're probably going to be listening to this podcast going <laughs> like... Casual. casual.
1: <laughs> but they're probably going to be like, oh, finally, because, you know, let's face it, the other Fire Emblem games have not been quite as hard as they could have been in the past.
0: I... I just take exception to grinding being a thing that is the answer to all ills because mm-hmm. I think that's just a very outdated concept. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's kind of a thing in like Dragon Quest and like it goes back to Dragon Quest and that kind of thing. But but it's funny even it's, thinking about it. It's, it's modern- 2017. Like yeah, you don't have to artificially extend the life of a game by asking people to grind to get through challenges. And I know that it's trying to be faithful to the original. But sometimes you can be faithful to a fault, which is why I yeah. picked that headline,
1: yeah, no that that's uh, that was a good headline, and I mean Dragon Quest seven that was a hundred hours and don't require i don't- <laughs> re- remember spending too much of that time grinding. I just went from challenge to challenge without an issue,
0: yeah, i just i like well designed maps, I like enemies that aren't cheap b s like the 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 cancers. <laughs> they are they really are like so annoying like i like I, I like mechanics that don't involve constant attrition mm-hmm. so no that's but fair beyond that it's really good <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think I'll, i will definitely give it a try because i am not against grinding so yeah
0: man i'm so conflicted on this game so conflicted but are you enjoying shadows of valencia drop me a line on twitter at the underscore cat bot or on um at usgamer at net, and let me know your thoughts. I'm sure people have plenty of things to say in the comments, as mm-hmm. they always do. It's
1: just, uh, I love hearing the, the name Cantor because I know that's like a like a, a religious figure, like someone who, who stands up there and leaves a prayer service. And just, I remember growing up and like going to synagogue, they were always these ancient, ancient people who seemed to be from another world. So it, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of suitable.
0: I suppose it is. Oh yeah, and screw the
1: witches. Screw the witches too, sub note screw the witches
0: because they can teleport around the map and they are death on your armored units oh my god this sounds like it's murder so like they will like teleport and flank your party <laughs> and your usually your flyers and your um and your cavalry can take them out because they're mobile and they're mm. hard-hitting mm-hmm. but other and but other characters like can't even really scratch them like it, it can be really variable
1: and your little dog so too. like
0: often it becomes almost a rock paper scissors things of like oh here comes that enemy okay i know that this character is going to be able to take them out mm-hmm. in like a hurry but crap they're going to get to my my like armored frontline unit like before i can do anything but meanwhile like waves of enemies are coming at the armored unit and the armored unit is just able to like <laughs> kind of hold them off yeah but of course they can outflank you like really well so like protecting your flanks can be like s- super tricky mm-hmm. and so you end up having to kind of protect your flanks with like the main character like and that kind
1: of thing oh man and uh so much going on at once i was gonna say uh, at the very least it sounds like it sure isn't a boring game
0: no it's not boring at all
1: yeah uh, it's just uh just frustrating <laughs> aggravating
0: One game that's not, uh, has not been frustrating, um, though I found it frustrating back in 2006 was Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. Which yeah, you got to play that. I have been playing for the past couple weeks um, and did a fairly in depth review of just recently for the site. Um, you should go check it out. Um, I was talking about kind of gaining perspective on kind of an old black sheep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nadia, I-, I was wondering, like, what are your memories of Final Fantasy XII coming out? Uh,
1: I know that I have it, and I didn't play I know play that it. I have it. <laughs> <Not yet. laughs> That's the, the gamer credo. I know that I have it. That's about it. But uh, I have it. I haven't gotten a chance to play it. My husband still badgers me about that because he bought it for me. Uh, it's in one like one of the steel cases. Um, You're a bad wife. <laughs> I, I'm terrible. I'm an awful wife. Did you not play in the video game that your husband bought for you? Yes, I am very ashamed. Oh, you even <laughs> got it in the steel bookcase, huh? Yeah um the what thing was that? though that was is that, that
0: thing in 2006 huh what's that that was a thing in 2006 huh
1: apparently uh apparently. it was like some sort of anniversary thing it, it was nice but um he the thing with me and, and the playstation 2 is that i missed out on a lot of the rpgs at that time because i didn't have a playstation 2 i was very very poor so mm. <laughs> i got it i had money for one game system and we bought the gamecube and that did not have final fantasy 12 on it so are you me that was pretty <laughs> much me
0: What's I that? didn't get a, and that was pretty much me. I did not get a GameCube until two thousand three. Oh, okay. Or I got a GameCube in two thousand three, and I did not get a PS two until two thousand five. And the reason I got the PA- the GameCube was because it was only like seventy dollars. Mm-hmm. Because a friend of mine was willing to basically, like, we split the system, and the the system was like one hundred fifty dollars or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cute.
0: It was cheap, like, it was maybe even as low as $200, Um, and he just wanted the game, Mm -hmm. because it had the pack-in of all the Zelda games.
1: Oh, yeah, I had, like, two copies of that. I gave one to my friend, who I worked with at the time.
0: Yeah, packed in, like, Zelda 1 and 2, and maybe Ocarina? I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: it had, like, another version of Ocarina that had, like, the Master Quest on it, I think.
0: So, yeah, he really wanted that, so, and this was before Virtual Console was a thing, so this was kind of a big deal for him, so... He was willing to go in a little, for a little extra to get the game, whereas I just wanted
1: the console. Mm-hmm. So I just took the console with me. So I had a GameCube. Did you have not so... a lot
0: to play on it?
1: <laughs> Basically, you, you justified the handle then because you guys were, were kind of passing it between each other. Here you go. No, you it was go. my GameCube. <laughs> didn't oh. You get okay. it? He already had a GameCube. He just wanted the game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nope.
0: Nope. No, not justifying the handle.
1: <laughs> oh, poor handle.
0: But I got a PS2 in 2005, and I got a copy of Final Fantasy XII in 2006 when it came out in Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, This was when I had first moved to Japan, and this was a big deal for me because it was the first time I bought a game that was not yet out in the U.S., and I got to play it before anybody else.
1: Oh, that must have been nice.
0: In Japanese. In
1: Japanese. (laughs) One caveat. How how, How well did you know Japanese by that point?
0: not well enough (laughs) (laughs) certainly not for a game as complex as final fantasy 12 yeah that's a bit wordy but more than that like final fantasy 12 was a game that in 2006 i had never played an mmorpg i Mm -hmm. had never like i was used to japanese rpgs that for the most part, either they were like pure action, where it's like hack slash whatever, mm-hmm. or they were pure turn based. Pick the thing from the menu, do the thing. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy twelve's weird hybrid of those elements really confused the hell out of me, and I did not know what to make of it in two thousand six. Oh, I was afraid of the gambits, Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can
1: understand why the gambits
0: were very strange. Oh, what did you think of the Gambits when they were being like kind of revealed and everything?
1: To be honest, I started really falling out of love with the Final Fantasy syst- with the Final Fantasy's battle systems, like after nine because they were trying so many weird things by that point and I I just got intimidated and ran away. Hmm. So like
0: being able to swap in characters and everything?
1: Yeah, just I was so used to like Final Fantasy Six, you know, here is your party, if you don't like it, go back to the airship sort of thing. So Which is
0: funny because 10 was, like, really straightforward for the most part. Like, all you had to really do was just follow the the license board. Or not the license board. You know, know, the the thing. Yeah. The orbs. Yeah. (laughs) Just follow that. And also, uh, you can swap in characters at any time. You're good to go. And they have, like, defined roles. It's almost like Dragon Quest, to be honest.
1: Yeah. But I guess Dragon Quest always struck me as a little less intimidating because everything's so cartoony and happy.
0: And it's also very simple in the sense of, like you level up you get abilities you, you're not like making any choices or anything right like mm-hmm. you're not looking at the big um orb board <laughs> <God>. <laughs> the orb boards people board are going to give me like so much trouble for not remembering what th- the heck this thing is called i think I it had the word grid in it the sphere grid that's it yeah that's the one <laughs> <laughs> it had the word
1: grid Orb boards <laughs> orby orbies
0: but final fantasy 12 um yeah like i did not know what to make of it at all i remember that there was a lot of um stuff making fun of it like penny arcade posted a really snarky comic of <laughs> mario never. but like mario doing the gambits <laughs> and just kind of moving on his own through the game and i was like and i was like this game plays itself oh were you like that Why would you want to play this game like it plays itself literally like there's no game to this <laughs> Oh
1: man. And that, is that when you got when you had that fight with Parrish over it?
0: Oh no, that was until 2009.
1: Oh, Okay. You've since grown and uh and accepted Final Fantasy 12 into your bosom.
0: my bosom. <laughs> yes. Kind of. Kind of. Um, okay, so I was playing Final Fantasy 12 HD and it's interesting because I feel like I'm older and wiser and maybe more versed in the RPGs and Mm -hmm. I've played more MMORPGs Mm -hmm. so the gambits like as a system just make a lot more sense to me now Mm -hmm. and it's pretty simple actually you just you come up with kind of commands and you want the ones that are the highest priority at the top and so it's like oh like I want to make sure that these people are always healed so please ensure that when they fall (laughs) into this level of health that they will prioritize healing right otherwise just keep attacking
1: Right, so that is very much like Dragon Quest.
0: Uh, I suppose, yeah. Um, except can... that you're automating all of it.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You're not like actually just clicking on the commands. You're just saying you're you're setting it all up in advance.
1: Mm-hmm. How about the cast? Are they like I've always been kind of curious about them because I, I don't know too much about Final Fantasy twelve's cast, but I like their designs.
0: And Final Fantasy twelve is kind of a mystery to you, huh?
1: A little bit, yeah. I know the the main character's named Vaughn. And he doesn't wear a shirt. And uh, he got made fun of it for in, uh, I think, uh, Decidia. Yeah, that was it.
0: He was getting made fun of in Decidia for
1: not wearing a shirt? Somebody made a comment, or he made a comment to someone about how he's shirtless. <laughs> and it, it makes sense, though, because he's he lives in the sky, so isn't that kind of chilly? He doesn't live in the sky. He lives in the desert. So, okay, but he goes in the sky, doesn't he? He's a wannabe sky pirate, yeah. Okay, so wear a shirt, and then he give be a sky pirate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's interesting actually because um it's kind of a combination of elements of final fantasy tactics and mm, vagrant sense. story in times of the world like in the aesthetic like there's actually a strong vagrant story feel to it yeah and know? it's the
1: same world if i'm not mistaken
0: which is makes sense because it was made by Matsuno, who yeah. also did vagrant story and final fantasy tactics uh but it so it has uh, a handful of characters who are introduced at the start um, we have Vaughn mm-hmm. um, and Penelo, um, who is, like, male and female characters. Vaughn is kind of a street rat living in an occupied city of Rabanastre in a country called Dalmascus, uh, which has been invaded by the evil empire.
1: Of course.
0: Uh, think Valkyria Chronicles in this instance. But instead of, you know, yeah, so, like, Delmas- uh, the evil empire has invaded them and, like, at the very beginning of the game, you see the, uh, the attack, and you see the king um, is about to sign a deal with the Empire to make them kind of a vassal state of this Empire. But oh. a character, seemingly a character named um, Bosh, B-A-S-C-H, Bash, 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 bash <laughs> um, comes in and says that this is a traitor king and kills him. Cool. And in response, the Empire says, Ah, well, we were going to be nice to you, but instead we're going to take you over. Like, oh. We're going to occupy you. You're set like, up, you up. lose all rights. Hmm. Good job, you. <laughs> and Bosch is taken away and put in, clapped in chains, put in jail. Right. Um, scene shifts to Vaughn, uh, who's a street rat. He's in the sewers, he's killing rats um he's running errands in a very mmorpg kind of fashion Mm -hmm. like bring this to this bring this to that do this kill this guy you know that kind of thing and interestingly von and Pinello, they were added in after the fact apparently oh really yeah the rumor is or the report is that initially square or matsuno intended for um bosh to be the main character yeah that
1: would make sense
0: but instead, but Japan was like, a, but Bosch is like this grizzled, kind of older grizzled
1: guy. Oh, right? we don't want to play as him. We want to play as the young kid.
0: Yeah, they want you to play as characters who can be related to by Japanese, uh, a Japanese audience. So they introduced Vaughn and Pinello. Japan doesn't like shirts. I get no. Japan <laughs> hates shirts. It's a land of shirtlessness. My utopia. Well, no, Japan loves, yes, Japan loves shirts. That's why, (laughs) Vaughn, here we go. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so they introduce these characters, but I I think it's actually useful in a sense that he becomes an audience surrogate. Mm -hmm. So you see how things are in the city from a ground level.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. You
0: see what it's like to live in this on a day-to-day basis. We were talking about earlier today, Or we were talking earlier in this podcast about how destiny feels sterile. Right. right? Like it's just a series of interconnected levels. Like the lore is almost pointless because you don't feel like you have a sense of fighting for anything. Mm -hmm. That's totally the opposite in Final Fantasy XII. where the cities feel lively and bustling. And you are at very much a street level with Vaughn from the very start. Mm -hmm. And Vaughn quickly becomes embroiled in events larger than him when he infiltrates the palace to steal a thing and (laughs) runs into a sky pirate, a grounded sky pirate named Baltier, who you would love. Yeah, Yeah, I think I know who he is. British accent, the whole nine yards. Um, I'm playing in Japanese. He has like kind of that smug, like I'm a pirate kind of voice. (laughs) The I'm a pirate accent. And he also has his companion Fran, who looks kind of like a bunny. She has like bunny ears and everything, but she's also wearing basically lingerie and like spiked battle heels <laughs> whatever gets the job done and she's an archer slash mage hmm. and uh everybody's kind of thrown together and you end up rescuing bosh um and things start to happen and you meet um a woman who is i believe the princess at the beginning of the game but now she's leading the resistance La resistance and you have the beginnings of a party oh that sounds interesting
1: and it is interesting. It it starts off so well. Yeah, that's really I like RPGs that really start off with a bang. That's uh, Persona 5 was really fantastic that way. Uh it, it slows down a bit afterwards, but I do yeah. love that like big intro that gets you into the whole thing.
0: So here's the interesting thing about Final Fantasy twelve. Um it uh Matsuno like kind of famously didn't finish it <laughs> <laughs> and was actually replaced. Mm-hmm. and there's this whole story about how Final Fantasy 12 was supposed to come out like two years earlier mm-hmm. like say circa 2004 wow if cut them out in like 2004 they could have squeezed in 13 on the ps2 because 13 was supposed to be on the ps2 wow but Final Fantasy 12 was way off schedule mm-hmm. right I mean Final Fantasy 10 came out in like 2001 um Final Fantasy 11 came out like the year after and then there was like a, a four-year drought.
1: Yeah, and that drought kind of persisted from game to game.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh it threw everything off. Like, mm-hmm. Square had a kind of a kind of a factory system going on with Final Fantasy up to that point. They did, yeah. And they were producing them like, bam, bam, bam. Mm-hmm. And they... So Final Fantasy twelve like, comes around in 2006, and everybody's like, what the heck is this? This does not look like Final Fantasy. This isn't like Final Fantasy X. Mm-hmm. There was famously a story where, like, a Japanese kid uh comes up the first person to get final fantasy 12 bows to square enix's ceo and says please remake final fantasy (laughs) 7 well kid guess what (laughs) and final fantasy 12 like becomes kind of a black sheet because nobody knows what to do with it Mm -hmm. uh leaves halfway through a lot of people would say that the story falls away apart halfway through Mm -hmm. that's my recollection but i don't remember very well um, and it was taken over by Kawazu, who did various other things, and is known for being a bit zany.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's just what Final Fantasy XII needs: zaniness. The sto- well, story about like political up- upheaval.
0: Yes, people were saying that like it goes from kind of a serious-minded political story to something a little crazier, <laughs> and that you can feel it in the characters. Um, which I guess we'll see. Yeah. But, um, have you finished the game? I mean, I'm in the. I'm in the midst of playing it. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting I'm there. in the midst of playing a preview build, uh, right? That's right. I will be streaming in an hour and a half from the recording of this podcast. Oh boy! Um, but so far, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, the only thing that the only thing that I'm a little nervous about is that it feels kind of passive at the moment. Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. you set up your if you set up your gambits right, you just have to push forward, and they'll do everything for you.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of RPGs can be like that, though. I mean, like, I find I'm going pers- through Persona 5 just pressing start a lot to let my characters, like, take care of the uh, enemies. I mean, that is the case, right? Mm-hmm. Like,
0: yeah, sure, you're pushing, you're, you're interacting with the menu to select um, a spell or something to hit the weak point of an enemy. But really, it's not that deep. Mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, you are essentially automating your actions. Yeah. And in effect you're introducing a script that does all of the, the the busy work for you while you do the higher level thinking of setting up gambits that are going to work on a particular boss. Because mm-hmm. it does get a lot more tactical as it goes on. Like they have like buffs and debuffs. You have to think about yeah. like, what are they gonna what am I gonna do when they do this and that kind of thing. So it, so I can see the argument, but all I do know is that A, I spent a lot of time in sewers in that game. (laughs) That's very MMO. I was constantly in sewers. Yeah, and also I. Not only was I in sewers a lot. Once I got gambits, I was just pushing forward. And whenever enemies showed up, I would just kill them and Mm -hmm. keep going. Mm -hmm. And like I never got below like fifty percent health. And the only time that happened was when I was fighting a boss who did an area of effect attack. Mm -hmm. That was kind of nasty. And, but I quickly healed myself. And actually, I think that boss is meant to be a test for gambits because if you just try and use the the menu all the time, like you will die because yeah. you can't heal fast enough.
1: Yeah, that's a very SquareSoft tactic right there. Is they give you this this boss that you have to um, know how to beat, and you have to kind of use something you've learned, or else you will you will get demolished. I mean, look at uh, Final Fantasy Seven has that weird scorpion thing. Uh, Final Fantasy Six has that like uh, the mist dragon. Basically, those all exist to, like, teach you how to use the ATB. um, Mm -hmm. So I can understand why Final Fantasy XII would have that, like, tutorial boss.
0: But from a remake standpoint, Final Fantasy XII was really good. Nice! Because um, it still looks kind of like a PS2 game Mm -hmm. in the sense um, that the NPCs are not very detailed and, like, the level geometry is, like, kind of simple. Yeah. And... The, uh, the, main char- like the main characters often look really great, but mm-hmm. the, the textures aren't kind of as nuanced as they are now, yeah, which it's- I, I guess is to be expected. But it has the English and Japanese language track. Mm. It has a fully reorchestrated soundtrack, which sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the soundtrack in this game is excellent. Um, it has this kind of high adventure feel to it that I really like. And it also introduces a, uh, an improved version of the license board, so in the original Final Fantasy XII, you had this big board mm-hmm. that you would kind of start out at, and you would put in, uh, you would put in a point. It would open up more stuff. Right. And you had to put in points for the right to equip things, <laughs> like equip items and that kind of thing. I found it really annoying. Yeah. And you could kind of craft classes for your characters by doing that. Right. But it was not very intuitive. And it kind of made everybody feel kind of samey. Mm-hmm. In this one, you pick a class for everybody. You have the Zodiac. right? Um, you have the 12 classes that you can choose from. And you once you assign a character to a class, they're assigned to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that class is filled. And that character is stuck in that class. And then as they move up the board, like they unlock stuff specific to that class.
1: That's interesting. I,
0: I like how much more directed it feels. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Although not being able to change your class, that's kind of weird.
0: I feel I, I did a whole bunch of research beforehand to be like, oh, what class should I go with? Because <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know, like which classes are good, and like I think you would naturally want to make um Vaughn into like a hunter, yeah. and or like Baltier into a hunter because he has like a gun, and that's kind of a gun bow class. Mm-hmm. Or, or you would want to make Fran into like a, a a mage of some sort. Like you would want to take advantage of what they naturally look like. But yeah. Bon is actually better as a knight.
1: Hmm, really?
0: Yeah, he has really good stats for that kind of stuff. Um, Isn't that and usually Baltair like a is one tank? of the best white mages? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have him healing a lot and that kind of thing. But. One thing that's annoying me is that I can't keep Baltier's guns now that I've made him a white mage because (laughs) I can't level up to the next round of guns. Right. Like, I can't get, like, level two guns and attach them to a white mage. It's all staves now and
1: rods. Ah, come on. We got to have a white mage with some guns. Come on, Squaresoft.
0: (laughs) Indeed. So Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age is coming out in July. Mm. Um, I'm going to keep playing it. I will have more thoughts on it. But so far, um, I think that a game that was kind of overlooked and some people regard as a black sheep maybe deserves another chance.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, it is definitely one of my must plays this summer. So we'll be talking a lot about it over, uh, Ax God, I'm sure.
0: Yes, we will. Okay. So Nadia, you will recall last week we talked about Skyrim and how it's not the best RPG
1: of all time. How could I forget?
0: We asked, uh, some people had thoughts. They responded. Um, Here's one from Rene DaCosta. Skyrim, I don't think it's the best of all time and I like your defense and like your defense of Dark Souls, there is a reason why people feel strongly about it and why it has influenced a lot of things from Dragon Age Inquisition to Breath of the Wild. You say the story stinks, which is mostly true. and The <laughs> combat is shallow. Okay. Yeah. But you do more things than just that. And this is what is special about Bethesda games. The breadth of options. My ex liked to steal everything. Forks, stones, bowls, <laughs> And get in scuffs with city guards to increase her infamy level. I think that's cool.
1: That is pretty funny.
0: I played a big beefy Nord swinging around my Conan sword for the greater glory of Krom. But was pretty lawful neutral, except when I'm a master lock picker. Yep. While the story wants to railroad you one way or another, the fact that I'm able to really play my character in any way and make your own sort of meta narrative. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you can interact in all ways, it sort of means it's a jack of all trades, master of none. Oh, and it's better than Chrono Trigger.
1: Oh no! Oh dear! I was on board until that last statement right there. Oh, thoughts, Nadia. <laughs> um, I definitely see where they're coming from. One thing I I mentioned um on my in my review of Skyrim Remastered is I said it's a very unique Bethesda kind of experience that that I I only I I can only excuse them for uh, and to kind of get clear about that. I've, I've talked so much about Skyrim with my friends, and it's not just stories of, like, oh man, I, I killed this dragon, or oh man, you know, I saved this town. It was, it's all about these, these weird ass glitches that worked in my favor and are just so freaking hilarious that, that you know, they're so special. Like, I'll never get over how um, there's this one Argonian named Talon G and uh, you can do two things for him through your quests. Number one, you can, uh, to get to the Thieves' Guild, you have to basically blackmail his mate, and that really pisses him off for, for reasons that you can understand. But you can also help him get a, like, a wedding ring for his mate, and that really makes him happy. So one time, <laughs> one time I go up to him, and I talk to him, and he's like, you've, you, after I've done these things for him, and I, he, I talk to him, and, and he says, you've done us a kindness we can never repay, friend. And there's the door. Why don't you go use it? because he was so confused he didn't know what the hell to say and it's a terrible such awful sloppy programming but it's just so funny I I can never help bring it up over and over again it's just that's such a unique Bethesda experience like that's one of the reasons I love Skyrim so much and I know it's such a sloppy stupid reason but I can't get over it
0: so one reaction that a lot of people had in the comments for this episode they started making their own top 10 lists (laughs) oh yeah I, I saw I saw that so, for example, for example, Chaotic Beat, his top 10 RPGs, just for kicks, his or her. Um, I apologize for gendering you Chaotic Beat. but One, SMT Nocturne. Interesting mm. choice. Yeah. Two, Demon Souls. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> we Old got school. a Demon Souls hipster here. <laughs> Three, Shadow Hearts. Four, Bloodborne. Five, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, what? Zelda Breath
1: of the Wild. It's an RPG. Rubble, rubble, blah, blah, rubble, blah, 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 rubble. Blah, blah,
0: blah. Yeah, whatever. It's grandfathered in. Six, Digital Devil Saga. Very interesting choice again. We're enjoying these PS2 uh, SMT games, I see. Uh, Seven, Shadow Hearts 2 Covenant. Eight, SMT Strange Journey. Nine, Persona 3 and 10, Front Mission 4. Oh, what was Front Front Mission Mission
1: 4? What was that for? Uh, I think that was for the PS2. Wow, some really nice uh, PS2 selections here.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people feel like the PS2 is the best rpg console of all time Mm. i think um i i would i would disagree with that but it certainly had a lot of them
1: yeah we should have it we should really have an episode about that what was the best rpg console of all time unless we we did it and i completely forgot about it
0: oh best rpg console of all time oh interesting Mm -hmm. I, i feel like i would have to like play devil's advocate and pick something other than the super nintendo just to uh just to uh be able to go against you because otherwise we're just going to sit there and agree the entire episode
1: (laughs) well honestly my my selection was ps1
0: oh oh okay maybe we will have an episode (laughs) (laughs) all right uh one more question before we um wrap up for this episode uh this one's from justin smith and this is kind of interesting he said I am seeing news articles about the low sales of Obsidian's latest game, Tyranny, which is true. Yes, we wrote about it, actually. Um, Tyranny did not do well. If you'll recall, Tyranny was the isometric RPG mm-hmm. by Obsidian, which allowed you to pick different... Uh, basically, you're the bad guy. Like yeah. you're, the, you're working for an emperor. Like You're working with different factions to pacify, like rebellions and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think we talked about it. And you can join the rebellion or you can keep being evil. And ultimately, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to piss off one faction or the mm-hmm. other and like evil devours itself. It's <laughs> an interesting game. I liked the I liked the story. The combat was decent, Um, but it was wholly overlooked, including by us. We did not review it. <laughs> Oh, guilty. And I think that's because another rather large RPG was coming out at the same time and I was very busy <laughs> at that <laughs> time. That's why I could not review it. I think it was Final Fantasy 15, but I could be wrong. It was either Pokemon or Final Fantasy
1: 15. I I, like see, 1, I remember Final Fantasy 15. It was it was around that time.
0: Yeah, it was around that time. Um anyway, Justin says one thing I have noticed has been the lack of any examination or comment on the US political climate in which the game was released. I was looking forward to sinking my teeth into a choice-filled RPG over the holidays and intended to buy it, but when the results of the US election happened, I and my partner decided to hold off on tyranny for the time being until we were ready to explore the issue the game focuses on. Mm. I can't help but think this played a part in the game's low sales. Anyway, I love the show. Interesting thought, but I'm not sure because it's just so wholly
1: different, right? Yeah. But I, I do very much like the idea of—it's uh, not even an idea, I guess—it's kind of a, a semi-fact that a political climate can affect a game's sales. Can you give me an example? No. Uh, well, just, <laughs> <laughs> I do know that um, the GameCube came out in uh, Japan in uh, like right after 9/11, and I know that's not like an exact example, but I do remember some people thinking that really. Uh, muffled the sales of the GameCube at the time.
0: Oh, so in the sense of, like, people weren't ready to play video games at that time. They were feeling like they had been kind of punched in the stomach.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. People, I'm not really talking about, like, oh, I can't deal with these themes so much as I'm not in the mood to deal with these themes.
0: I'm not in the mood to play video games, to be honest. Yeah. Which is interesting, because video games are escapist, but, I mean, when heavy stuff is going on, I suppose it can be kind of rough. I do know that 911 more or less killed um Mobile Suit Gundam's Run on Tsunami here in the US. That's right. Yeah. Because it was like because it was a war anime, it yeah. was canceled.
1: Was it I outright think. canceled?
0: It was either canceled or severely delayed. Hmm. It was already not that popular because they were trying to shoehorn a 1970s anime <laughs> with a terrible dub onto a show for uh, onto a network for effectively teenagers and early college students who were definitely not old enough to remember that and yeah. were mostly subsisting on mid-90s anime. But <laughs> it it definitely hurt it. Mm-hmm. And there was another game that might have been uh, another anime that might have been delayed because of 9/11 as well.
1: I know that Donnie Darko was uh was just destroyed in the theaters uh, because of
0: 9/11. Mm, was it?
1: It was. Like, I don't know if it was... It wasn't censored, but there was a a scene, of course, with... I don't know if you've seen Donnie Darko, have you?
0: I have not, but I'm familiar with it.
1: Well, it involves a crashing airplane, put it that way.
0: Oh, yeah. right. Okay, yeah, I remember. That's the end, I think. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But it didn't take much time. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) (laughs) People (laughs) were feeling a little sensitive about it at that time. Yeah. Uh, As for the game Tyranny... Um, I suppose the name tyranny could like serve as kind of a, a trigger for certain people who are like feeling, who were feeling really low about the election at that time. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose I really separated it out in my mind because so one be was, one was like medieval fantasy. You're playing as like kind of the evil Game of Thrones-y connoisseur or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you're dealing with warring factions, but like it just does in in my view it did not have a lot to do with modern politics. Right. So. But I mean it was definitely an interesting time for video games right in the wake of that election because I know for uh, I know that I was not super interested in talking about video games right after that happened. So Same. but I digress. I do think that the real reason that it got that it ended up having bad sales was that it just wasn't marketed very well. Yeah. Um, it did not have kind of the... Because, like, Pillars of Eternity, like, it was marketed as the return to the isometric RPG. It mm-hmm. was one of the first waves of Kickstarters. It was by the old, like, it was like, it was billed as a return to the ethos of Black Isle Studios. It had that kind of cachet to it. Right. And Tyranny, when it was announced the following year, or maybe the two years after that, like... It almost felt like a side project and I remember getting pulled into like a couple meetings to like check it out and everything but it didn't feel like it just didn't feel like as big of a deal Mm -hmm. and with all due respect to the people who did great work on Tyranny it felt like the A-team of Obsidian was on Pillars of Eternity like guys like Josh Sawyer and the the other guys like weren't as well recognized Right. right And that's kind of the cruelty of having, you know, like, games are made by a lot of people, but people tend to associate them with a few well-known figures. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what happened with Tyranny. That's the tyranny of game development. (laughs) (laughs) Wordplay. And then finally, it just came out on top. It came out in a very busy season. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it did not get reviewed by a lot of outlets because a lot of outlets were very busy, I know Polygon, like, it fell between the cracks for Polygon, because Phil was, like me, very busy mm-hmm. with other RPGs, like, so, as a consequence, uh, Tyranny, unfortunately, did not do well. I hope Obsidian itself ends up uh, being able to kind of pick it up a little bit and do okay with uh, Pillars of Eternity to Deadfire, yeah. but, yeah, it's kind of a drag. I want Obsidian to do well.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not, like, a huge fan of their games, but uh, i a big fan of what they do.
0: Yes, I am. All right. I think that's the end of our episode. Nadia, it's time to wrap this one up. Axe of the Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Do me a favor. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, could you leave us a review and also leave us a review on iTunes? We'd really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Give us a nice one. Uh, we always like to hear from you if you're enjoying the podcast, and of course, that makes us more visible. Yes, on the iTunes charts, and hopefully, lets people know that the Blood God is there for those who love RPGs. Um, you can find us on all of the social media channels, iTunes, not iTunes, Twitter, the <laughs> underscore catbot, US GamerNet, Facebook, US GamerNet, Nadia. You can be found on Twitter at Nadia Oxford, and of course, on your blog. Tiny Girl, Tiny Games. Is there anything this week you want to highlight, Nadia, in terms of what you've written?
1: Uh, let's see. What have I written this week? I wrote the Game Genie ad that we all talked about earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I like that,
0: that we managed to make that into like a smallish topic on this episode. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Synergy. <laughs> there, I'm trying to think. There's Oh, right. I, I highlighted a video that I found of uh, Chrono Trigger. Someone uh, basically peeled back the layers literally of the game and and kind of exposed a few secrets i thought that was really neat oh yeah
0: that's definitely something that people should go check out and actually on that note i should probably beat chrono trigger now yes please do and you got to be on persona 4 golden yes i do <laughs> we'll do it I, will. I got like so many games to play like this big stack of games i, I was like playing shadows of Valencia. Mm-hmm. finally wrapped that up i had final fantasy 12 um i've been playing that and but meanwhile, and then I keep getting distracted by Heroes of the Storm.
1: Yeah. And what about Persona 5? Are you getting back into that? Oh, my God. I got to get into that, too. And I'm going to need to finish Breath of the Wild. Ah, I'm going to be able to finish all these <laughs> too many games. Too There are too
0: many good ones.
1: It's not a good political scene, but the game scene is just like, holy crap.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. But we will be back, as always, to talk more about RPGs, the genre that we love, next week. Keep following us every Friday. But until then, I've been Cat Bailey. And for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. We'll see you again one more time. Happy adventuring.